Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call, did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of an inveterate sparpler to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week, the right way around, is scapegoating. <laughs> so so I, I, when when I read inveterate sparpler, I thought invertebrate sparpler. <laughs> but yeah. a, and no. a sparpler, well, is that like something like a damp sparkler? Sparple is a verb which means to deflect right. attention from one thing by making a big fuss of something else entirely. Yeah, that's a good word. It's a great word. It's yeah. a 14th century English word, to sparple. Wow. So, scapegoating. Yeah. This is a fairly straightforward one in terms of, of understanding what it is. I think everyone knows what scapegoating is. It comes from a Bible story. Ah. It is about blaming someone else for your problems or another group, usually an already put-upon group. Ideally, right. people who can't fight back yep. get all your problems kind of laid at their feet. The story is supposedly that in Israel, they would sacrifice one goat and put mm-hmm. all of the sins of the people onto another goat right. and send it off into the wilderness. That goat escapes yeah. being sacrificed. Oh, okay. It is the, the escape goat, oh, okay. essentially. Right. <laughs> it's not a goat that wanders in the landscape. No, it's, it, it right. escapes being sacrificed. It goes into the wilderness okay. and, and it is... That is where any judgment that is required to come on on those sins would then reach. I think goats get a bad deal, certainly in the Christian religion, because of their eyes, mainly. (laughs) Yeah, they are weird. And they're kind of associated with, that's you know, goat-headed demons. Absolutely. Quite a a, um, familiar thing, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. uh, psychologically speaking, scapegoating, putting mm-hmm. down minority groups, people who are unable to fight back, essentially, yeah. is theoretically a way for groups to stop a cycle of violence and attacks. Because mm. historically, when blood feuds and things like that were a thing, you know, one group yeah. would attack another group, the other group would be expected to attack back. Yeah. So... At some point, when someone says, oh, you know, it wasn't us, it was those people who can't fight back. It was those people who everyone hates. Uh, It stops the cycle of violence. Because those people aren't going to fight back. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so for that reason, it tends to be someone who is an underdog, usually, who then gets scapegoated. Right. You don't scapegoat powerful people. It makes me think of what's the one where you have, um, like, in a in a pride of wolves. No, it's not a pride, is it? Bunch bunch of pack. wolves. Pack it. A pack it. Oh, pack pack it of wolves. Pack it of wolves. Pack it of wolves. Yeah. Pack it of wolves. Five pack. Um, Usually they yeah. come in, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Unless you get one of those twenty percent extra free packs, you get six. Oh yeah, where well, you might get a. You get a six, yeah, yeah. six walls for the price of five. Well, then you've got one spare, which uh-huh. becomes the scapegoat, yeah, or the the whatever. The What's wolf. the wolf equivalent? No, there is a there is a, and I because I remember going to a a forest somewhere, <laughs> and uh, which so it was a it was a, uh, a wildlife park. With with wolves and you and this, you that's true and, uh, this anecdote and, uh, is getting very and went, stretchy and what went and read one of the things and it says don't worry about the wolf that they all the wolves are beating on because that's what happens they designate a scapegoat 
in the wolf pack. <laughs> And that's the runt the of the litter, get... that kind of thing. Well, kind of. So yeah, you went, yeah, you went they... to a wild a forest that might have been a wildlife park, and they yeah, they no, specifically was, put a sign up saying, yeah, "Do not say, pity don't worry about, yeah. the badly yeah. chewed wolf yes, exactly. <laughs> that others yeah. are attacking." because yeah. that's yeah. fine. It's okay in the wolf. It happens. Species. And if we took him out, if we took that one away, they just pick on another one. Then they would pick on another one. Yeah, it's like a broken biscuit at the top of the packet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just leave out the top biscuit because then the other one will be, get broken? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't like Mondays, so we'll just yeah. not work on a Monday. Then because Tuesday. Tuesday will be the new Monday. Yeah, so, this. Yeah, yeah there's, so there there's is the, yeah nowhere around it. <laughs> Wolves, biscuits, days, they're all the same. Yeah, scapegoats. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My anecdote was a bit strange. <laughs> well, so anyway, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> in our first, but yeah, but there are scapegoats happen. They, yeah. yeah, apparently to wolves as well. Even in, if you're a wolf. In yeah. our first Trump example, mm-hmm. he called coronavirus the China virus, right? Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, he doesn't do it in this clip, I don't think, but he does blame the Chinese for it as a whole. This is worse than the most strenu- deadlier than the most strenuous flu. Okay, and then you went out and said it's just like the flu. What I went out and said is very simple. Listen, what I went out and said is very simple. I want to show a level of confidence, and I want to show strength as a leader, and I want to show that our country is going to be fine one way or the other. Whether we lose one person, we shouldn't lose any, because this shouldn't have happened. This is China's fault. This is nobody's fault but China. China should not have allowed it to happen. We almost see the man behind the curtain there, because what I wanted to do was just to show strength as a leader, and convince everybody that we'll be fine one way or another, whether we lose one or... Yeah, or as it turns out, hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands, yeah. yeah. But but in order to kind of diffuse and distract, he just got to quickly heads east and say, oh, yeah, we shouldn't lose any. But that doesn't make any... It doesn't actually make any difference. The the fact that it's come from China, it might have come from the moon, doesn't make any difference. It's about how you're dealing with it locally. And if you're cocking it up, yeah, but by like the, repeatedly the reporter suggests calling it the China virus, talking about it coming from China and saying it's their fault and they shouldn't have let it come to the US and so yeah. on, he is trying to spread the blame around really and away yeah. from him and onto them yeah. for the impact that it had. And yeah. the reality is that countries much much closer to China with much closer links like Vietnam, Thailand had much less of an issue in terms of proportion of population, rate of growth and that kind of thing because they dealt with it differently. Right. What he's trying to do is get you to ignore the fact that it was his policies that (laughs) caused a lot of the problems. Yeah, yeah. Not least the fact that he was constantly telling people it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, quite, which is what the (laughs) reporter was saying. saying, You're just saying it was was a bit of a flu. The reporter said something and he points at him and goes, listen, (laughs) and he just, it doesn't, he does that bully thing where he doesn't... If somebody's going to interrupt him to correct him for being an idiot, he just gets... He says, oh, that's a... You know, that you're stupid or that's a really yeah. nasty question. And it's that bully in the playground stuff. I think in this... Cause this is Jonathan Carl from, from ABC uh, who was yeah, asking the yeah. question. I, and I, I think it was in this coronavirus briefing that he kind of had a go at Carl and said... He's a right. disgrace to ABC, or ABC should be ashamed yeah. of him, or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Asking questions <laughs> of the president, holding his leaders to account. How dare you? 
Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> given that Trump never takes the blame for anything at all, yeah, there could be quite a lot of examples of this. Yeah. Um, but one of the other main groups that he pushes the problems of America onto is immigrants. Yep. Republicans want strong borders and no crime. Very simple. Not complex. Democrats want open borders and crime, crime, crime happens automatically when you have those open borders. The Democrats want to let the country be overrun. Just take a look at what's going on. Everybody comes in, including the vile gang MS-13, which Nancy Pelosi has gone out and wants to protect. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? Like the little bounce, yeah. the kind of bouncing ball of, of, yeah. of blame and tangent and other blame. Yeah, absolutely. So it's so it's the Democrats' fault for wanting open yeah. borders because open borders lead to crime because immigrants. Yeah. And immigrants basically the same as MS-13, that gang. Yeah. Which, again, then going back to Nancy yeah. Pelosi, it's her fault because yeah, yeah. she wants to protect yeah. MS-13. So, it's, yeah, it's that group of... It's shoving those people together and saying there's crime because obviously if republicans got their way and had strong borders yeah there'd be no crime no that's right yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah and oddly the republicans were in power for four years under trump and had <laughs> yeah, you know absolutely. the opportunity to and what happens was the guy who was advocating no crime was the most <laughs> criminally liable of yeah. them all yeah yeah because if you shut the doors then only the people inside the doors <sighs> will do the crime yeah and obviously, yeah. I mean, it shouldn't need saying, but most of that <laughs> is complete fabrication. Nancy oh, yeah, Pelosi yeah. didn't want to protect MS-13 or anything like that. When he called them animals, she said, I don't think it's right to call people animals. Yeah. That, is... that was the extent to which well, she defended yeah. MS-13. And that was <laughs> using quite a broad interpretation of what Trump was saying at the time, which a lot of people interpreted to, to be calling immigrants in general animals. I right. think he was specifically yep. talking about gangs, but it could be read to be immigrants, and I think that's what Pelosi yep. was responding to in that. Yeah. But even yeah. if it was just MS-13, it's still, I agree, not good to call people animals. It's also very much not true to say that MS-13 would not be in the US if the borders were strong because it started mm -hmm. in LA. Right. It's a big right. gang. Inside the border. Yeah, it's a big gang yeah. that started yeah. in LA among largely people from El Salvador and places around that area. The reason that it spread throughout parts of South and Central America is because in 92, the government then deported a lot of those gang members back to El Salvador. Right. So yeah. that gang that was previously just an LA gang built up in, in South and Central America as well yeah. and spread into other areas. And it's now still about half of the, the huge gang are in L.A. And in general, <laughs> yeah, the crime level among immigrants is way lower than mm. the crime level among yep. uh, native-born Americans. Yep. Maybe it's not the immigrants. <laughs> mm. So our final example in this section is from Elon Musk, ah. uh, who I think is sufficiently in Trump world to qualify uh -huh. for this. And um, this is from September of last year. He tweeted, Our US advertising revenue is still down 60%, primarily due to pressure on advertisers by the Anti-Defamation League. That's what advertisers tell us, in brackets. So they almost mm -hmm. succeeded in killing X slash Twitter. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. possible that advertisers told them that, but it's certainly not what advertisers have told everyone else. No. Because all the advertisers who have said anything in public 
or whose private correspondence has been leaked or released in public. Mm -hmm. It's all been about what a fucking fascist hellscape Twitter is becoming and how they don't (laughs) particularly like having their products being advertised next to white supremacy tweets. That's that's a bad thing. Fair enough, yes. (laughs) Which is largely what the Anti-Defamation League are arguing against. They're saying, don't be anti-Semitic, don't be racist. Yeah. Twitter is both those things. So if they have had any success in pressuring advertisers to leave, it's only because those advertisers are like... I mean that's a good point. We should probably, we should probably yeah. distance our product from this stuff. <laughs> from that, yeah, <laughs> might might be good. Might not do our product much good. Yeah, yeah, Re- reputation wise. So yeah, so it's it's it is very Trump like to 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 blame the failing app Twitter being solely down to Elon Musk. Blame it on something else. Blame on advertisers leaving because of the things that he's done yeah, to it. There's a lot of things you can point to of the changes yeah. that he's made since buying it. Yeah. That are plausible reasons why it has not done very well since. Yeah. He's made some yes. really weird decisions. Yeah. And some outright racist statements. And now he's blaming people for, for going for leaving because the place is outrightly racist and awful. And advertisers are going, ah, don't. Yeah, I don't really want to be on the same platform as white supremacists and and Trump and all those people that were no longer on there. Yeah, the people he's allowing back on there and then monetizing their outrage peddling. Yes. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics corner. So we could have simply talked again about the post office and the government and Fujitsu's scapegoating post office employees on an industrial scale for the best part of three decades. But I thought I'd keep it light. We're we're back in the news again. 30p Lee Anderson blaming those who didn't know how to budget or cook properly for the existence of food banks. Well, here's a quick reminder of the loathsome patroniser of his local food bank in Ashfield, Nottinghamshire. There's not this use, this this massive use for food banks in this country. We've got generation after generation who cannot cook properly. They can't cook a meal from scratch. They cannot budget. The challenge is there. So basically he's blaming the people that can't cook and can't budget for patronising food banks and for the existence of food banks. And we talked about that in episode 100, I think. And he also went on to say the next day that he has cooked a meal for 30p, which is where his moniker comes from, from scratch. And, you know, where he's probably got one of his own people to do it because he's been on a salary of 89,000 a year as an MP since 2019 and 100,000 a year from GB News for eight hours work a week since March 23. In an echo of that, on December 28th, 2023, so this is the real example, the MP for Bury North, James Daly, told iNewspaper, which is an online tabloid version of The Independent, most of the kids who struggle in Bury are the products of crap parents. And so what do we do to try that? Try to address that issue? On the left, it will be we just throw money at it and hope something sticks. Somebody like me thinks about this more fundamentally. And he added that politicians need to be brave enough to say such things. And obviously politicians also need to be schooled in Tory policy enough to scapegoat the very people who they're serving the least. Because the figures from the Department of Work and Pensions show that 22.8% of children in the Berry area were living in poverty for the year ending April 2022, up from 18.9% in 2014 to 15, when comparable records began 
and a Tory MP have been in charge since 2010. SIGOMA, the special interest group of municipal authorities, found in May 23 that Bury Council has had a 22% cut in their budget over the last 14 years. Coincidentally, the length of time <laughs> the Tories have been in power. Bury is part of the larger Greater Manchester City Council, and in 2022, a Labour Council said the scale of council cuts in Manchester since austerity, when that austerity was the period after 2008, where David Cameron's government instigated a, a, a public spending cutting uh, exercise, which they then announced the end of austerity and there was lots of money to give tax cuts as a result of the fact that they not spent money on public spending. So the central government funds local councils to enable them to to spend and maintain public services to the populace. And since austerity, so since the Tories have been in power, they identified that the, count, the scale of the council cuts in Manchester would be enough to buy Manchester United Football Club, which was valued by Forbes at £4.8 billion. And so Berry Council was facing a £23 million gap in funding for the next year, even after a planned rise of 5% on council tax bills, which is basically the subscription that each constituent pays for their council services. But a less, less than a third of the budget comes from council tax payments yeah the rest and is from, if the, you're, from the central government the rest is from central government and if you're in a poor area the properties so council tax is rated on the value of your property if you're in a poor area your property is valued less so you pay less council tax so consequently it's a vicious circle which means that the uh, council has less money to spend James Daly, who said all these scapegoaty things, won his seat in 2019 with the lowest majority nationally, 105 votes, beat James Frith from Labour. As a result of, he was one of the ones that got in on Boris's let's get Brexit done because Barry North voted 54% to 45% to leave the EU and the whole of the Brexit campaign was... To scapegoat the EU Absolutely. for the for the yeah. failings of delivery of service by countless years of Tory government. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, very yeah. much. Look around you at all of the stuff that we're in charge of. Look how shit it yep. all is. It's Europe's yeah. fault. Yes. Yeah. Let's blame it over there, and then we don't have to take the blame. And and also as a possibly possibly as a result of the scapegoating of the EU in twenty eleven by former Berry MP David Nuttall, no relation to Paul Nuttall of the UKIPs, who handed Prime Minister David Cameron a petition of 100,000 signatures calling for an in-out referendum on Britain's membership thereof. Yeah. So and just, what is yep. Daly, James Daly's plan for solving the problem of crap parents? Because he looks at this, if he thinks not about it more throw, fundamentally. It's certainly not to throw it's money It's definitely not it. to give yeah. them money. No, absolutely no. not. Don't give no, crap no. parents money because no. they'll just no. do more crap with it. But what yeah. he has a fundamental solution, surely? No, because he thinks no, about he, it no. fundamentally. No, of course not. No, 
No, he's a second yes. No, you would think, but he's brave enough to say. Yeah. He's brave enough he's, to say. All he's doing is brave enough parents. to say that it's I blame the parents. Whoever's fault it is, yeah. it's definitely not the government. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's not the fact that the, that they've suffered a twenty-two percent loss. No, over no, the no. It's not because we're massively, no, massively underfunding them and not not no, um, and investing not in their them, local yeah, areas not, or their schools or anything like yeah, that at all. Or the out-of-school provision, or or yeah. yes, quite. Or, or the campaigns to keep people off drugs and all the you know, yeah, and, basically and it's not it's not anything that we're going to do anything about, mm. or that we could be expected to be held responsible for. Yes, yeah, it's Dickensian, <laughs> isn't it? It's that you know, if there were no poor people, then there would be no workhouses. Ergo, the workhouses and the latter day workhouses, the food banks, only exist because poor people can't budget. Well, or can't make a meal from scratch. Well, yeah, you, you need you still need money to buy things to make it from scratch. So anyway, just to round off the irony blindness of James Daly, he also said about Nigel Farage. Mm-hmm. I know Nigel. I think Nigel is basically a right of centre conservative. He seems to share many of our values, like investing in northern towns. Huh? Exactly. So why not? Why shouldn't he rejoin the Tory party? And he also says the challenge for Nigel to become a bit more mainstream would be to come away from being this person who can say what he wants. So, yeah, there's James Daly saying what he wants. And then he says, Nigel's like us investing in northern towns. And my question for him is, can you actually hear yourself (laughs) saying stuff when you talk? James Daly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, so looping back round to 30p Lee, he's back in the news because he's resigned his position as deputy chair of the Conservative Party on Tuesday night in order to vote for an amendment to the Rwanda bill ahead of its third hearing in the Commons on Wednesday night, saying that the bill doesn't go far enough to stop the boats of asylum seekers. The Rwanda bill is a multi-layered onion of scapegoating. The problem is the, the problem with people fleeing their situations and risking their lives to come to Britain or any other country that seems to be safer than their own isn't just the traffickers scapegoated for selling them passage, nor the asylum seekers themselves who are variously scapegoated as economic migrants and rapists and criminals, nor indeed are immigrants to blame for anything they're scapegoated for. At the core of the actual problem is something to do with the West complicity in supplying arms to wars in regions far from our shores and supporting conflict that leads people to flee for their own safety. The Rwanda bill is offered as a panacea to distract us from the lack of progress in addressing the problem beyond the immigrants. The boats are Rishi's current scapegoat for the whole situation. And the Rwanda bill, which seeks to declare Rwanda as a safe country to deport asylum seekers to, is a way to smuggle through, if 30p Lee and the rest of the far right and the Tories had their way, legislation that would enable the Tory government to ignore rulings from the European Court of Human Rights, or indeed the UN, whose UNHCR ruled that the Rwanda bill basically contravenes international law regarding the care of refugees. So, of course, anyone who doesn't agree with the bill and gets involved in defending against the actual demonstrably illegal consequences of the bill also gets scapegoated as lefty activist lawyers. And the thing about scapegoating is that you should choose someone or a group or a thing that can't necessarily defend itself. Lawyers, then, (laughs) perhaps not one's first choice for a scapegoat. (laughs) 
However, in the sun of 6th of August 2023, Robert Jenrick, the then immigration minister, blames his inability to be an immigration minister on lawyers in general and a lawyer connected to Keir Starmer in particular, and thus the whole of the Labour Party is complicit and thereby he scapegoats them all. Of course, to prevent any comeback from your scapegoat, what you have to be sure to do is not name them. They have to be an anonymous group that we can all agree are the kind of people who do that sort of thing and thus legitimise our not looking any further or questioning the scapegoater. Oddly, though, Jamrick is adamant that he has named them in this article and on LBC that same day, presenter Andrew Castle discovers it's impossible to find it. The, the, the point I'm making here is that the Labour Party's approach is one whereby they support uh, all of these efforts to prevent um, our, our, our efforts to stop the boats. And, you know, I think that people just have to be honest oh, about that. that that's that's going to make life much more difficult. OK, well, perhaps they disagree with your policy. So they're using all means to, to, to stop well, I think it, which well, is fair enough within the confines of the law. Sir Keir Starmer, you say in your, uh, in your op-ed in The Sun today, page 14, faces serious questions about his links with charities and lawyers who've campaigned to thwart our work to stop the boats. Today we learn that a top lawyer who advised Labour on anti-racism policies is at the forefront of efforts to stop people being deported to uh, Rwanda. Where is it? Where is the name here? Um, well, it's in it's in it's in the article. What is the name? <laughs> Please, what's what's the name? Uh, well, it's it in the article that's uh, that's published um, in, in the Sun. But why don't you want to name that person when you say that that person's name is in that piece and I can't find it? Why don't you want to name that person? Um, well, I think I'm sorry you, to be so stuck be able, on this. You, no, no, I understand, but you, you'll be able to find it uh, online if you take a look. It's absolutely bizarre. <laughs> absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Need to say it isn't in the article because <laughs> I found it online and it isn't there. Because all it is full of is incendiary phrases shoveling familiarly tasty morsels of scapegoat meat. <laughs> into the furious spoon-fed maws of right-wing tabloid readers. <laughs> and it's just that, it's that he's missed the, he's, he doesn't know how to do it. What you're supposed to do, if you, sca <laughs> you scapegoat people, you just generally say, it's all those lefty lawyers. Lefty lawyers, absolutely, yeah. And, and, and they all, because they're on the left, they're, the Labour Party's complicit. That's all you need to say. Mm. That, that's you know, the, and the people that agree with you will just agree with you. But to to then say we have received information from an unnamed source, brackets made it up, <laughs> an unnamed source that a lawyer close to Keir Starmer is one who's thwarting our efforts to stop the boats and and uphold hold the will of will of the public. If you then say that, and then somebody, oh, okay, who is it then? And then to say it's in the article, and it isn't. Yeah. So if it, but if it's in the article, why aren't you saying it? Well, he's he's not saying it because a it's not true, and b he'll be sued for libel. And <laughs> yeah, slander. if you're going to make checkable claims, you have to yeah. do it in a format where people aren't ever going to check it, like a Dinesh D'Souza yeah. film, for example. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you're going to scapegoat somebody. Don't do it in a checkable way because <laughs> you've you've not understood the rules of how to do that. So in in 
trying to scapegoat the left and lawyers and Labour Party and Keir Starmer and a, a friend of Keir Starmer's. You know, it's it's guilt by association. You're trying to do in trying to scapegoat people. He's countered his own argument because all he's, and he's kind of, he's saying, oh yeah, well the name's in there. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't there. And you shouldn't name them because you've broken the rules of scapegoating, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> And in the Fallacy in the Wild, we like to talk about the Fallacy of the Week from a non-political perspective. And our first example this week is a Little Caesars ad, where they really kind of leaned into this. The bacon-wrapped deep, deep dish pizza is back at Little Caesars. But if you're wondering who would take it away in the first place, it was Chet Wallaby, Little Caesars' corporate scapegoat. I, Chet Wallaby, acted alone to take away your eight crispy caramelized corners of pizza wrapped in over three and a half feet of bacon. I deeply regret this decision that I made entirely on my own. The truth feels good, doesn't it, son? Pick up a bacon-wrapped deep, deep dish pizza for just 12 bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. And they set Chet Wallaby up with a Twitter account so that you could right. direct your blame directly at Chet Wallaby. Fantastic for the fact that it had gone. <laughs> yeah. And then when they eventually removed the bacon-wrapped Whatever it was, again in, yeah. in I think it's 2016. It was announced on Chet Wallaby's Twitter, and he was like, "I'm I'm really sorry. Again, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to take it away." Yeah. But I watched the ad. All I could think about was that's such a brilliant idea. Uh-huh. It's basically it's a pizza that's so deep you could have a strip of bacon on All the way around, around the crust, three feet of and bacon, it's, and it, it free, and it talks about eight corners. And I guess because it's that deep, you've got a corner top at the top and, and a corner, corner at the bottom. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And I so, at that moment, I so wanted one of those. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. it, yeah. Well, there's no way it would be like that in the in the store, no, no, surely. Yeah. We've worked in advertising for too long. <laughs> yeah. But people responded, at least from what I've seen yeah. on Twitter, people responded in a jokey way as if he right. was really the person who was doing all of this stuff and and it Brilliant. kind of it gives little caesars some goodwill yeah. in making yeah. what otherwise would get complaints uh, in making those yeah. kinds of decisions people are like oh chet you again yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is a yeah. great system. So it kind of works as a positive yeah. scapegoat, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Back to blaming all of the problems of the of the herd of wolves uh-huh. on the scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah. You see, if, if you weren't here... <laughs> Who would we have to blame to missing uh-huh. the full moon? Yeah. And all, and we all got ill from killing that goat that kind of wandered through. <laughs> this, this metaphor is as stretchy sins. as the anecdote. I know. <laughs> Spawned it. <laughs> <laughs> so our second example yeah. is from In Sickness and In Health. This is ah, yeah. the sequel to Till Death Us Do Part, which mm-hmm. became All in the Family when... Yeah, the Americans to, did a remake. So, yeah, yeah. kind of technically, this is a version of Archie Bunker's Place because Archie Bunker's Place okay. was the sequel to was All in the, the Family, uh-huh. but but yep. that actually came first. So, ah, this isn't a remake of Archie Bunker's Place because he doesn't own a bar or anything like that. So, yeah, it, yeah, this is just the continuation of Alf Garnet, that character who became Al- Archie yep. Bunker. And in this episode, uh, one of Alf's nemeses, his wife has left him for a lesbian, right? And so they have this long conversation in the pub about how you never used to get lesbians around here and that kind of stuff. And Alf has a theory on right. who's to blame. It's your French, isn't it? Eh? The frogs! You're bloody French! They invented all them perversions, didn't they? That's why your tunnel's not a good idea. I mean, they'll be creeping through that, spreading more of your perversions, you see. Once upon a time, it was just your sailors bought that thing in the country. Quarantine, mate. Anyone coming in this country from abroad should have to spend six months in quarantine. I mean, if they take their dogs with them, that has to go into quarantine when it comes back, and he's probably behaved himself a bloody sight better than I have. So, yeah. There you go. As far as Alf's concerned, it's the French that are to blame for the existence of lesbians. Yeah. (laughs) And not, not that Greek island. <laughs> no, no. No, no, no. no. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the f- <laughs> bloody French. Bloody French coming <laughs> over here. Because there is a link between, you know, that lefty, because isn't the, his no-good son-in-law that married his daughter, U- Eunice Dubbs, uh-huh. Tony Booth, the actor. Who was Rob Reiner in America. Oh, okay. oh yeah. well. Uh, but Tony Booth, Sherry Blair's dad. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, bloody lefty <laughs> activists. Yeah, and he keeps calling him a lefty. Uh-huh. Yeah, what's the name? So our final example comes from Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. It's the fall play at their school, and the musical that's being put on in the hall is Working Girl the Musical. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. But Gene wanted to do his own musical. He wants to do Die Hard the right. Musical, which he wrote. Right. Oh, right. And yeah. so he has done a, a kind of guerrilla underground literally musical on the same night and is trying yeah. and has got people to come along to his instead of the official school musical and yeah. it's caused some issues and so they the whole family gets called into uh, mr Fron's office the the guidance right. counselor so you fired the cast and made it die hard the musical a one-man show yes starring me gene yeah okay well i've come to the part where i blame the parents bob linda Hi. uh-huh i'm blaming you oh yeah why didn't you step in and do something here? Hey, we don't know all the crazy crap our kids are doing. We don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it comes to the part where I blame the parents. Yeah, Brilliant. like this is the standard yeah. section of all of the meetings. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just work your way down the, the other kind of yeah, subsection two. Yeah, blame uh-huh. the parents. Oh, I so want to see Die Hard musical. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. It starts like Nakatomi, 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 Nakatomi. <laughs> of course it does. Of course it does. Brilliant. Oh, and there's got to be a whole kind of aria of, uh, you know, when it, just before he's flung off the roof, which kind of continues in a, in a kind of trailing off long note. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. Because I, I personally identified that the people at fault here, it, it's, it's not the makers of the faulty software which measures the final tally at the end of each episode, <laughs> nor is it the people that paid a lot of money for it so that it must work. But in fact, it's the poor sap that plays the game. Me, that's to blame. And and that's that. <laughs> wow. There you go. <laughs> Taking responsibility. I like to see yeah. that. Yeah. So um our examples this week come from a a rally that Trump did I, I think it might have just been yesterday. It's very recent oh, in right. New Hampshire. Yep. And yep. he was typically batshit. So Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Uh statement number one. Everyone knows I gave the farmers billions of dollars, tens of billions, actually, which I got from China. China. No other president in history could get anything from China. I beat them very easily, very easily. It was one of the... But what people don't realise is that I also got billions for the fishermen. They were dying before I got in. Fishermen weren't able to feed their families. They had so many regulations and they weren't allowed to fish. But I saved them. I opened up the oceans again for the beautiful New Hampshire fishermen. Oh, right. That's why he's talking about it, because of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Statement number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're also going Tens to place billions. <laughs> <laughs> strong protections yeah. to stop banks and regulators from trying to debank you from your, you know, your your political beliefs. What they do, they want to debank you, and we're going to debank. Think of this. They want to take away your rights. They want to take away your country. The things they're doing. All electric cars, give me a break. If you want an electric car, good, but they don't go far. They're very expensive. They're going to be made in China. Uh, right. I thought he was all for American electric cars and all of that stuff. And yeah, okay. And bank. Yeah. Statement number three. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. We have more liquid gold and wealth under our feet than any other nation. We have more liquid gold, oil and gas, more liquid gold. Well, I just met non-liquid gold. You know where it was? Iowa. It's called corn. They have... It's non-liquid. That's my take. You have more non-liquid gold. They said, what is that? I said, corn. They said, we love that idea. You know, that's a pretty cool thought, isn't it? That's a nickname in its own way. But we came up with a new word for... New couple of words for corn. (laughs) It's corn. It's corn. Oh, man. Yeah, well, all of them are fake, <laughs> but all of them are also real. Because I started off thinking, okay, the billions of dollars, China, China, and then there's that hesitation where he's realised he's forgotten what he was going to say, but then he does it, and all the others. Okay, so is the is the endless repetition of non-liquid gold one of his? kind of revelations where he thinks he's so stupid he thinks that the things he's just thought of are clever uh, and debank is that a, is that a gag on debag want to take away lots of taking away things going on 
So is he going to... Uh, is he going to lie about billions for the fish? Where did he get the... He didn't give farmers billions. He, he Okay, so... Oh, he's did bank real. Right, okay. I think that... I think number one is the one you made up. The tens of billions. Okay. Yeah. And of the other two, yeah. which are you more convinced by? <laughs> well, uh, I'm more convinced by the banks, but I quite like the non-liquid gold one. <laughs> so I think possibly number three I'm okay. more convinced by. Yeah. And number three? Yeah. Is real. No. We have more liquid gold and wealth under our feet than any other nation. We have more liquid gold, oil and gas, more Thanks. liquid gold. Well, I just met non-liquid gold. You know where it was? Iowa. It's called corn. They have, it's non-liquid. That's my take. You have more non-liquid gold. They said, what is that? I said, corn. They said, we love that idea. You know, that's a pretty cool thought, isn't it? That's a nickname in its own way, but we came up with a new word for a new couple of words for corn. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, what is that? I said, I said corn. And they called me an idiot. They, yeah. they didn't so say, what the fuck, are you, said, talking what the about, fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you go, non-liquid gold, non-liquid gold. I just thought of that. Isn't that great? Non-liquid gold. First non of all, gold. I don't think corn needs a new nickname. Second, no, it's just corn. I think yeah. non-liquid gold, i.e. solid gold, is already yeah. a thing. It's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> why would you kind of say, not, why would you call oil and gas liquid gold anyway? Because liquid gold is already a thing. Liquid <laughs> gold. That's what happens when you melt solid gold. Yeah, oil, it, yeah. I've heard black gold. Black, yes. That's, yeah, that's what they call tea. it on the, uh, yeah. on the Beverly Hillbillies. Yes, yes exactly. Gas, yeah. yeah. famously not a liquid. Not a liquid at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, except, except liquid propane gas. Yeah. But but when, but as a gas, the clues in the, in the name, <laughs> it's a gas. Yeah. 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 What the fuck? So you also yeah. think number two is real. Yeah, because of the debanking. <laughs> yeah. And number two. Yeah. Is real. We're oh. also going to place strong protections to stop banks and regulators from trying to debank you from your, you know, your, your political beliefs, what they do. They want to debank you, and we're going to debank. Think of this. They want to take away your rights. They want to take away your country. The things you're doing, all electric cars, give me a break. If you want an electric car, good. But they don't go far. They're very expensive. They're going to be made in China. What? No, fuck. That sounded like an idiot, didn't it? Yeah. No, the things, uh, the things they're doing all electric cars. Give me a break if you want to get. And he did it all in one breath. <laughs> that what he's got? What they're going to deep bank you? Yeah, from yeah. you know, from uh -huh. you know. Yeah, we all know from, from you know, your, your political, political beliefs. They're going to debank you from deep, your political beliefs. The, the banks and the regulators are going to debank you because that's where I keep my political beliefs in a bank. Yeah, you're going to get the that, debanked. Yeah, you're going to get debanked. And then he says they want to debank you. And we're going to debank. Yep. He the, said that. <laughs> again. The fuck? 
And then, and then he realises he's gone up a blind alley, and then says, "Okay, think of this. They want to take your rights. Let's just let's just go back to. They want to take stuff away from you. They want to take your country. The things they're doing. They want to take your country. And then he just hard edit into. Yeah. And there's another train of thought that he just crosses <laughs> over to. Yeah, all electric <laughs> cars give me a break. All electric cars what? give me a break. All electric cars go. I don't think the banks are trying to do all electric cars. Yeah, no, I, I don't. <laughs> In the in the attempt to take away your rights, I gonna, I think uh, what happened yeah. here is yeah. that he said debank in yeah. the first line, and it, yeah. and realised immediately that's not a word, and the right. rest of it unlike was, non-liquid gold, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the rest of it was like trying to get through the fact that the thing he said isn't isn't a thing. So he yeah. so he says it a couple yeah. more times just in case it is a thing just but, to, just to try it out but, yeah to see if anything kind of, anything yeah. occurs to him in the process yeah but that it yeah. feels like that's the point at which he's like then because the thing that comes out about political beliefs what yeah that's yeah that's that's because his brain is busy going oh, debank I don't think that's a word um, <laughs> I don't know what is that what is that try it. keep it going keep it going keep it going at the front and they're anyway, all running they around in the background whatever it is yeah well, it will do neuro- it his, oh, his two neurons are firing yeah yeah one's operating his mouth the other one's looking for a something yeah and then he has to quickly run down a blind alley of, of communication yeah. yes. um, with yeah. electric cars because he can talk about that probably because yeah. that's the only thing that comes back <laughs> You know, and then you know, and then the third neuron is just going, so yeah. putting his hands up, going, "I'm sorry, it's all I could find, best I could do." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, wow. unbelievably, you've wow. you've done it again. You're, I, well, hey. I don't think, I, I think it might be coming up for like six months since I've won one of these. That includes the time really? we switched. No, over. so Re- really, yeah, yeah it's crazy. Wow. We have some social contestants who have who have given yeah. answers yeah. on. Facebook, Andrew says going with two. Yeah. No explanation, but fine. Just go for it. (laughs) Trump doesn't explain (laughs) Uh anything, so yeah, why not? Christine Fletcher says, number one has got to be true. I can hear him saying it. It's got everything. OTT exaggeration, huge self-back patting, lost train of thought, big lies, sucking up to the crowd. So I think that must be the fake news. (laughs) And that's the tell. Oh, I think that must be the fake news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 On the other hand, number two sounds fake, so it must be true. Therefore, <laughs> by a completely arse up process of elimination, yeah. three must be true. I mean, non liquid gold. That would be solid gold. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, which one did they. Uh, they did went for one then? Yeah. Through, oh, okay. through the process that it sounds true. And the others right. sound fake. So, therefore. So, they yeah. must be true. Oh, okay. That. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And on, yeah. on Patreon, Stephen yeah. Bickle says, I'm going with two. One, I think I've heard. And three seems wow. like Trump's standard self-congratulation for doing something trivial. Yeah. Alice says, uh, two is all yeah. over Reddit, so I know it's that it's embarrassingly true. I'm going to go with one as yeah. fake news. Granted, he's huh? been okay. unashamedly admitting how much he gets from China for services. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Scott says, well, two and three both have rather daft made-up terms or thingies, as I call them. I just made mm-hmm. that up. Thingies. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> those sound quite Trumpy. Number one, on the other hand, although rambly and dissembled, mentions feeding families, and I'm convinced that Donald doesn't care one bit about feeding anyone's <laughs> family. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Gonna have to watch for that. Yeah. 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 Uh, Invisible Unicorn says, I chose two because, oh, hell, I don't know. You've gotten very good at this. Hopefully, three is real just to hear the incoherent rambling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, yeah, that's part of my raison d'etre often. Yeah. Yeah. 
because it's unbelievable and I just want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> and Renee Z says, I'm with Alison Scott. Number one is fake news. I heard about someone saying corn is not a liquid in response to some Trump idiocy. So number three must be real. <laughs> also, I heard him say something about debanking. I still haven't figured out what that is, but he seems certain no. about it. So number two must be real. <laughs> <laughs> he seems certain about it. <laughs> I listen to that too much Trump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's cool that that uh, number one got analysed as, yeah, the, uh-huh. the escalation, the sidetrack, the sudden stop. <laughs> but then when you read all the others, you go, well, they've all got that as well. Yeah. Why, why did I choose those and not the one that you wrote? Sometimes yeah. one of the problems I have is I, I will hear him say something like yeah. number three about liquid gold and corn. Mm-hmm. And I ha- obviously I have to include it. Yeah. But I know you know I'm not smart enough to come up with something that insane. <laughs> I couldn't possibly have written that. That's mad. Yeah. So Yeah. So I know yeah. you're not picking that one. That has to be Trump. Right. But but I have to include it anyway. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I know. Well, yeah, doing the doing the Boris one. It is I mean it's a long complicated thing cuz you just you shove them in. And then you think, oh, okay, so I've got to write one that's kind of like that. Yeah. But isn't, but it's got an illusion that he could bring up, but isn't too obvious. But it's also got to be sufficiently uh, tied into reality, but also a little bit unhinged because yeah. they, 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 both of them are. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a tightrope walk. Yeah. It's a, it's a process. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, well done. I mean, yeah. you're now on uh, 68 out of 130, which is it's... somewhere in the region of 52. percent So. Oh. Oh yeah. well, there you go. That's Good. that's solidly a majority. In the, in that's the enough half. to leave the EU on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called Reed Galen is not a logical fallacy because I'm joined this week by Reed Galen, who is an independent political strategist, co-founder of the Lincoln Project and host of the Lincoln Project podcast. Welcome, Reed. Thanks for having me. So why not start off by just telling us what is the Lincoln Project and, and how did it all get started? Sure. And again, thanks for having me. Uh, the Lincoln Project started, hard to believe now, f- more than four years ago, December of 2019. And it was a collection of most of us are now former Republicans who said, you know, we look, we spent our career. I, I literally grew up in the Republican Party. This is a guy who most of us opposed in 2016. I think all of us actually opposed in 2016 and watched with increasing horror over the course of his presidency and said, if this is a guy who is reelected, you know, who knows what will happen? And remember that when we started this again, this was pre-COVID. The economy was good. He hadn't yet gone to his first impeachment trial. And on the Democratic side of the aisle, we went into this thinking that either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders was going to be the Democratic nominee. So we didn't know what would happen. So all of this got started really in a vacuum. And, you know, the first few months of when we were in existence, uh, right up until about May of 2020, you know, we were doing some interesting stuff, raising a little bit of money. And then we made an ad called Morning in America, which was sort of uh, a remake of a, a Ronald Reagan ad from 1984, except in the minor key. And this was about eight, nine weeks into the COVID shutdown here in America. Uh, Trump saw it because we only buy media really where we know he's going to be. He is a he is a cranky, old, lonely man. So he sits in the bridal suite of Mar-a-Lago or at the time in the residence at the White House and watches Fox News just like any other crazy old man. 
So he saw it and he attacked us. And we went from raising about $300,000 a month to $5 million to $10 million. And before you know it, we're all over the place. And, you know, going into the fall of 2020, you know, we didn't expect it would be as close as it was. But we also weren't surprised that um, we didn't know what January 6th would be, but we weren't surprised when it happened. And so what we saw in the aftermath of 2020 was that the race to defeat Trump was over for the moment, but the race for democracy had only just begun. And in that time, the stakes have gotten much higher. Trump has gotten much more dangerous. And the idea that he and really the people around him could return to power in just, you know, nine and a half months uh, is something that we should all really take seriously. Absolutely. So that strategy of aiming your ads largely at, at that audience of one, mm. what's the end game for that? You know, it's a great question. So, you know, look, a lot of our supporters, mostly Democrats, say, you know, your ads keep me sane. I love it when you make fun of them. And there, there is a point to that, right? Which is if you can get inside Trump's head and make your friends happy, right? Remember, in America, unhappy Democrats stay home and happy Democrats vote, right? And they're, they're on the natural unhappy. So you have to find some way to sort of get them revved up. But look, there is a strategic purpose to this. So let's go to just last December, early December 2023. We launched an ad aimed, I think we called it feeble, aimed at showing all of Trump's verbal gaffes, cognitive decline, all of these videos stitched together. And then again, we put them in front of him so he can see it. Well, again, he attacks us. Okay, why did we do the ad in the first place? Because we know that the Republicans and Trump in particular are going to say Joe Biden's too old. He's incapable of doing the job now, let alone another four years. Well, Donald Trump is worse off cognitively uh, and certainly behaviorally. And so we wanted to show that. What does he do? He attacks us and says that we have utilized artificial intelligence to make all these videos up. Okay, so what has he now done for us? One is he has revalidated us as someone who he hates, right? That's good. Secondly, he has made a bigger deal out of the issue than he otherwise would. And lastly, he lied about it. So now he invoked what we, you know, what's here in America called the Streisand effect, which is if he had just ignored us, nobody but people in Palm Beach, Florida would have seen this ad. But now everybody's seeing it and it's now getting covered because he made a big deal out of it. So, okay, what's the strategy behind that? He has now highlighted for us and for everybody else that he is in fact worse off physically, mentally, psychologically, emotionally than Joe Biden. So it's it's a strategy to cut off the strategic attacks that he will use against Joe Biden this year in 2024. And now you're starting to see it get picked up in the mainstream media because now they're seeing him in person for the first time in a long time. A lot of these national political reporters who've just sort of bounced in and out or haven't gone to his rallies, haven't seen him as in person. You see Nikki Haley now attacking him for it. And so that's the reason we do that kind of stuff, which is, yes, it makes us happy. It makes us laugh. It makes our friends happy. But there is a strategic point to it, which is he can't ignore us. He can't quit us. And when we do that, he makes our case for us. And we find that to be a very effective thing. Yeah. The great thing is he doesn't ever seem to learn that that's the effect he's having. He's not a learning animal. No, no he's not a learning animal. <laughs> so was there a point for you where you ever thought, he would be a viable candidate at, like from when he came down the escalator or was there a point at which he was like he went too far and you thought no we've got to do something about this uh, i always thought he was well when he came down the escalator look i was the first among many to say what a joke this was you know then he attacked john mccain right a man i worked for 
you know, then he attacked, uh, if you remember, this is going back to the summer of 2015. Remember, he attacked Megyn Kelly for having mm-hmm. her, quote, blood coming out of everywhere. And what I started to see was that he wasn't, uh, and then, you know, he did these debates where he would just ridicule and demean the rest of the candidates. And these were all people who had very storied careers in Republican politics, some of whom I knew personally. And what I was, what I started to see was that this was a guy who was not, he was not obeying the laws of political gravity, that something had changed significantly. And by November of 2015, I I realized, yes, this guy is going to be the nominee. Now, it took much longer. In fact, it took me up until Election Day to realize that he was going to be the president. I was in full confirmation bias denial. Um, And what I forgot was that, you know, frankly, the Democrats chose the one person who could energize Republicans of all stripes to vote not for Trump, but against her. Because I forgot that for a lot of Republicans of a certain age, my my age and older, you know, Hillary was mythological. She'd been in a constant political presence since the early 90s. And as much as they hated Donald Trump, they wanted nothing to do with her. And so, you know, um, I recognized, you know, by the fall of, of 2015 and then certainly by the spring and summer of 2016, who and what he was, never having any idea, right, that that he could actually win. And I was in a very dark place after he got elected in 2016. Same. Absolutely. I had no, I I was convinced he couldn't possibly win, but Mm, there you go. So what reaction have you had from fellow Republicans that you've kind of turned against the party as they see it? You know, let me, I can make this, you know, a pretty personal one. I mean, even if you go back to before the Lincoln Project, everybody like I was really out of Republican politics. I wasn't a Republican anymore, so I was really out of politics, as it were. Um, I was more into like political reform and that kind of stuff. Um, once we started the Lincoln Project, you know, I got a lot of you know really love what you guys are doing, but nobody would say that publicly, and got a lot of very angry stuff from people. I can't believe you're doing this. You know, you've turned into some sort of quote unquote liberal, as if like that's some you know some sort of epithet that like I should go running from. But, you know, the the truth is, is that most of the people I know were Republicans like I was, right? Look, I worked for George W. Bush in 1998 when he was governor, 2000, 2004. And, you know, we we considered ourselves the establishment. We considered ourselves normal. What we didn't understand was how, frankly, how outnumbered we were, how out of touch we were. So, you know, there were some people who, like, I have two best friends I'll probably never speak to again, right? That's part of the deal. Some other dear friends I'll probably never speak to again. But, you know, at, at this point, you had to make a choice from my perspective, which was most of them largely live in Washington, D.C., right? For them, this is as much a business decision. Um, and you can rationalize it however you want. But for me, like I wasn't going to, I just couldn't sit by and do this. And if it meant that like, oh, you know, I'd had some success in Republican politics, I could never work there again. All right. That was for me, that was worth it. I'll find something else to do. Your Lincoln Project colleague, Rick Wilson, was swatted recently. Yeah. Is there a sense that the kind of apostasy of being a former Republican and then working against them is kind of worse? It's seen as worse than being a Democrat in a way. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. It's the it's the right question and it's a great question. 100%. Remember, for these people and for anybody in really like authoritarian slash tyrannical movements, betrayal is the ultimate sin, right? If you're uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Republicans, right, conservative Republicans might hate you for the for what who and what you are and what you believe, but you're expected to be their opponent, right? We are far worse than that because we are of them or we were of the same place for a time. And we have 
betrayed them. We have committed that cardinal sin. I would also say that in the context of Trump and the people around him, they blame the Lincoln Project, right? They they blame us for 2020 for him losing. They see us as the people who understood how to decode him. That's why you saw in the immediate aftermath of the election back then, Mark Meadows, who was chief of staff at the White House at the time, had a memo sent from his office at the White House to Bill Barr, the attorney general's office, the Department of Justice. And the email said, here's the Lincoln Project information I mentioned. And it's me, Rick Wilson and Stuart Stevens who were mentioned in those memos. They came after us. They sent these awful mailers to everybody in our neighborhoods. Uh, they spent probably about a million dollars trying to destroy us. They al- it almost worked, right? They almost, they almost killed us. In some cases, they're really trying to kill us, but politically, they almost killed us. And so, yeah, I would say that the swatting of Rick uh, a couple of weeks ago is not surprising. You have to understand the environment in which you're operating, which is there are people out there for whom political violence is a perfectly acceptable method of communicating a belief system. And that means that you take it seriously. But at this point, we've crossed the line. We're so far over the line. It's, you know, like if, if, if somebody said, okay, I was with the Lincoln Project and now I'm not going to go back to Donald Trump, he would welcome them back with open arms, right? He absolutely would. But I can't imagine anybody who's part of the Lincoln Project or the pro-democracy movement who would willingly do that because they really believed it. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't seem to move in that direction. No. <laughs> Fortunately. Yeah. And do you think that sense of, I guess, peer pressure and betrayal has an impact on the polling? You know, this is one of those things where, you know, the polling is so, so screwy nowadays, yeah. right? It's, I mean, think about this. I mean, in this country, you know, they still do about 50 to 75% of the polling is done on the phone, right? <laughs> on home phones, on right? Landlines, they want to call, yeah. Yeah, yeah, on landlines, they want to call somebody at home. So just, just as an aside, think about this. So you are somebody who has a home phone that you still pick up and you are willing to talk to a stranger about politics for somewhere between 32 and 40 minutes at dinner time on a Tuesday night, right? Like you have self-selected. You are not a you are not representative of much of anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think that polling overall has gotten very skewed. And I think also what you've seen, and this is again going back to that whole idea of the, the people that are being smart and well resourced, is that the Republican side is now just pumping out BS polls as quickly as they can because they realize they have enough purchase with media outlets, some of whom they you know, control behind the scenes, that it, it ramps up this idea that Trump is winning, Republicans are winning, Trump is winning, Trump, Republicans are winning. Uh, and that you saw this like with the failed red wave back in 2022. It didn't happen because so much of that, that data was BS, right? It didn't, yeah. it, was, it was all push polling or whatever the case might be. I would say in personal settings, you might have some of that. I think with polling, I think actually it probably skews a little bit the other way, which is even if somebody's a Trump voter, they might be afraid to tell a pollster they are, maybe because there's still some social stigma to it. So yeah, I, I think it's hard to say. I think we are in a place where there are more avenues for individuals to collect information than we've ever had. I think they're all more inefficient than they've ever been. And the the conservative movement, the MAGA movement in this country has really done a, a lot of work, again, over decades to create an infrastructure that not only communicates efficiently and effectively to their audience, but also keeps them in that you know sort of hyper-sealed bubble so that very little of the outside world gets into it. Uh, and you could see, look, I could see this with family members. I could see it with friends, right? And and you see it and you're like, oh, well, you know, what I'm hearing, Reed, is that Kamala Harris is going to get nominated to the Supreme Court and that Joe Biden's going to make Michelle Obama 
the vice president. And then he's going to decide not to run or he's going to resign. So Michelle Obama is going to run for president. And I'm like, let me just ask you, because you're a smart guy. If somebody came up with this theory in a board meeting at your office, like, would you say that makes total sense or that's crazy? And the guy sort of looks, he goes, well, I guess that sounds crazy. I'm like, yeah, because Hmm. it is. That was an argument they were making four years ago. It's happening again. Right. (laughs) So this stuff is very concentrated. It's very potent. And just like an addict, they always have to up the ante because they have to keep jabbing that adrenaline, right? That adrenal gland to keep people hopped up and angry and motivated. So we are less than 10 months now away from the election. Trump's obviously going to be the Republican candidate. Mm -hmm. If he loses, do you think we're going to see another January 6th type event? Or do you think that the real consequences that some people have had from that? has had a chilling effect. I think that there will be an attempt on Trump's part to recreate some sort of January 6th. I think your second point is the better one, which is now you see people who are facing real federal prison time here in the US. Their lives are not going to be better when they get out of prison, even if it's for just a few months, right? They'll be convicted federal felons, right? Which has a whole other set of consequences. They might consider themselves to be hostages or victims of the deep state or whatever. But the truth is, is that first, I think that having a president in, and an executive in the Oval Office who will be like, oh, you know what? No, we're going to protect the country from people like this is very important. Because remember that in 2020, Trump had all the resources of the federal government at his disposal. Uh, and remember, he started all this right even well before Election Day, right? Remember that he. He used federal troops, unmarked federal troops, uh, to clear streets in Washington, D.C. He sent federal officers, again, you know, unnamed, unmarked federal officers into cities like Portland and Seattle for the express purpose of generating violence, which they got. And then, you know, on January 6th, regardless of whatever anybody says at the Pentagon, it was not Nancy Pelosi's fault that the that the Capitol was not better protected. The FBI knew a lot about this stuff. You know, the National Guard was told specifically to stand down. And it wasn't until everything got out of control. And I think it was actually Pence who called the Pentagon and said, you get those guys over here. Right. So Trump had completely abdicated his responsibility, both as president and commander in chief. Um, and chief law enforcement officer, for lack of of a better way to put it. So I think those things are possible. I think we should expect it, and I think we should be prepared for it. But I think also a resounding defeat, I think, and you see this in sort of other historical uh, experiences, if he is defeated soundly again, I think you'll see the seven, you know, 65, 70% of the Republican Party that's for Trump, but not MAGA or not ultra MAGA anyway, say, okay, you know, it's over. And some of them have this like Rip Van Winkle effect. It's like, what was I thinking? But then, you know, the fight won't be over, right? I mean, a lot of the poison has seeped through into the states and into the next generations of political activists and thinkers and everything else. So defeating Trump in November is the biggest fight in the battle, you know, as as Churchill would say, it would be the beginning of the end. Yeah, in the in the in the battle against MAGA, but it won't be the end. Obviously, he's not going to last forever. He's he's not the healthiest of guys, and he's getting on. Mm. Can the Republican Party come back from this? Is is there a way back to normality? Only with significant, continuous defeat at the state and local and federal level. Look, Republicans in in these states have done a masterful job, and I use that word intentionally, of what we call gerrymandering, right, legislative and congressional districts. That means drawing lines that are favorable to them, such that it's almost impossible for a Democrat to get elected in a lot of these places. But 
The flip side of that is now, let's say I'm, you know, normal MAGA member of Congress from Texas, right? Well, now there's the crazy ultra MAGA guy to my right who says, you're not pure enough. At some point, they will push themselves into oblivion and otherwise an otherwise normal candidate, even in a very conservative district, might be able to start squeaking out some wins. But it's going to be a process and it's going to be work and it's going to have to be a united piece of effort, for lack of a better way to put it, because the conservative movement, the MAGA movement in this country is very well resourced. These people are very smart, whatever you think about Trump intellectually, and they are relentless. Like they, for them, this is an existential fight, right? They believe that the country is falling victim to godless heathens who don't believe in, you know, men versus women and black versus white, right? Like they are Christian nationalists. Vast majority of them are white. They have a dominionist version of what America should be, and they have taken the long game on this. They have been working on this for 50 or 60 years and understanding that a lot of the infrastructure that's in place is not going to go away just because of Donald Trump might lose. In fact, I would say that they would get further energized because they will realize, well, shit, if pardon my French, if we don't do this now, it's never going to happen. And so what I would say is, again, Trump is the first big victory, but it's far from the last. Yeah. Looking at the other side of that, then say Trump somehow wins. Mm -hmm. What's next? What happens first? And what does a second Trump term look like? (sighs) Um, I think there will be a great deal of unrest in the country should he win. Because I think there are, remember that even if he were to win in in our electoral college, right, which is a, you know, an anachronism from another time, literally 275 years ago, or whatever it is, 250 years ago, um, he will lose the popular vote, which means that probably somewhere between five and 10 million more Americans will say they didn't want Donald Trump than did. That is not a sustainable and or healthy thing. And we've had it for really since 2000, right? Maybe 2004 was the last time a Republican presidential candidate won the popular vote in the United States. That's not sustainable. And so I think you will see many, many Americans probably take to the streets. Now, this is, you know, what will happen in a democracy, which is if the democracy doesn't ultimately want to protect itself, it will fall to somebody like this. I think that you will probably see, and I wrote a piece of this on this for my substack called The Home Front, called January 21st, 2025, in which, you know, we should believe that if Donald Trump is going to, you know, invoke what's called the Insurrection Act, which allows, um, you know, American military forces to be put in the streets against American citizens. Maybe he won't use the military right away, but he'll have plenty of sympathetic governors with their own National Guards. He'll have plenty of sympathetic sheriffs in counties across the country. And remember, in the United States, you know, a sheriff is he only he only answers to two people, God and the voters. Right. There's almost no positive control from any higher level authority. And so I think you will see, you know, some pretty ugly crackdowns on behalf of Trump. And his people. And the one thing we know about authoritarian movements, too, is when they finally do take power, they move very quickly to consolidate that power because they know if they don't, largely speaking, the people that even the people that elected them won't probably like a lot of the things they're doing. So they will move very quickly to ensure it's difficult, if not functionally impossible, to remove them without significant trouble, destruction, bloodshed, whatever the case might be. So what can we do? What can our listeners do to make a difference and sway 
the election, hopefully, in the right direction. <laughs> well, listen, I think that, you know, if you spend a lot of time online, when you see flat out misinformation or disinformation, report it, right? I know it sounds like small ball, but that stuff does have an impact. Now, Twitter's a cesspool. So, you know, who knows how much of that effect, you know, who knows how much, how effective that thing is anyway. But I would say that learn what you can uh, about, you know, why democracy matters. I mean, look, for me, it's a very simple argument. You might think that Joe Biden is too old. Okay. But let me ask you this question. Does like when he gets up in the morning, do you think he wants the country to be better or worse? When Donald Trump gets up in the afternoon, do you think he wants to be the, the country to be better or worse? And for him, he doesn't care. Right. He, if, if the country's better by accident, he doesn't care. If it's worse by his actions, he cares probably even less so long as he's OK. And so I think that, you know, keeping the faith and we need to get a little bit more optimism in this. Like, I really do believe since Iowa there, I have felt a shift. I can't I, I some of it's based in data, but some of it's also again, when when Trump is now back out there in the middle of things, I think there are millions of Americans not to mention all the people over the world who go, come on, this can't happen again. Now, you can say that and you can believe it, but now you got to go make a reality, right? And so, again, whatever it is you can do, you know, in your place to be part of the conversation, to show why you care about, you know, small D democratic, small L liberal values, right? Because here's the thing is that authoritarians make life arbitrary for all of us. On any given day, you wake up in Russia you got to worry about what Vladimir Putin's worried about. You personally, you got to worry about whether or not you've done something that you didn't even know about that suddenly has three guys like throw you off a roof. Like that's a real possibility in a place like Russia. Democracy doesn't get rid of our, the arbitrary nature of life because you could always get hit by a bus. But it says you as an individual with your family and your community has more of an opportunity to decide how you want to live your life. And Donald Trump and his goons want to tell you how you live your life, where you live your life. I mean, look, in Escambia County, Florida, they just banned the dictionary. Yeah. Is that normal? That's not normal. They literally don't want you to be able to look up words. <laughs> like, what do you say to people like that? That's not, I mean, that's that's crazy. And that's the kind of stuff, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. So if people want to come and join the Lincoln Project and help mm -hmm. you do what you're doing, what can they do? How's, how do they go? About yeah, it? sure. Yeah. Please go to lincolnproject.us or jointheunion.us. You can go there and sign up for, for, you know, our updates. Please share widely, right? We see this stuff is mattering everywhere all the time. Also, if you go to my Substack, it's called the home front and sign up. I write once or twice a week about how I'm seeing the world. It's a little bit more irreverent. It's got some data. It's got some fun. Sometimes it's scary, but uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. And always please, you know, Give the uh, Lincoln Project podcast a listen. We have great guests. You might not have always heard of these people, but I'll tell you that they are the smartest people you can find in the pro-democracy movement, and I am always educated and entertained by them. And keep listening to Fallacious Trump, because I'll tell you, if we all do this together, regardless of where we started from, uh, we'll all end up in the same place. And that doesn't mean we agree on everything. It doesn't mean we agree on anything, except for one thing. And that's, you know, in this moment, making sure Donald Trump never returns to power is the most important thing we can all do together. Reed Cannon, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. It's the most wonderful time of the year, the Trump trial season. It seems like it starts earlier and lasts longer every year, doesn't it? (laughs) We start with the immunity hearing in the D.C. District Court of Appeals. Trump's lawyer, D. John Sauer, was making the ambitious claim that former presidents can only be prosecuted if they've already been successfully impeached and convicted by the Senate. One of the three-judge panel, Judge Florence Pan, decided to test the logic of his argument. She asked if a president could order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate his political rival. Sauer floundered a bit and started talking about what the founders intended. And Judge Pan said, I asked you a yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? Sauer's answer was, yes, but only if he'd been impeached and convicted first. (laughs) Obviously, Trump's going to lose this. And then it will be appealed, probably first for an on-bank hearing and then to the Supreme Court. If at any point the argument is accepted by a court, then Trump's 2024 court schedule will get a lot lighter, but his running from SEAL Team 6 schedule will fill (laughs) right up. In Trump's New York civil fraud trial, Trump himself wanted to give the closing arguments, and at first Judge Arthur Engerham was open to the idea, obviously understanding the entertainment potential, but asked Trump if he would stick to relevant matters and not make a campaign speech or personally attack the judge, the DA, or their staff. Naturally, Trump didn't accept those terms. (laughs) So, as is traditional, his lawyers gave the summation of the case. They then asked again if Trump could speak, and the judge asked again if he could limit himself to the case, at which point Trump just started talking, and of course, immediately ranted about the fact that he's being persecuted and attacked the DA and the judge. Engeron allowed him to continue for another minute and then adjourned for lunch. Finally, in his defamation case against E. Jean Carroll, Judge Kaplan threatened to have Trump removed from the courtroom because he wouldn't stop loudly mumbling about how unfair it all was and calling the case a con job and a witch hunt within earshot of the jury. Given that said jury gets to decide how much he owes Miss Carroll, I'm not sure it's a great idea to continue to defame her right in front of the jury while on trial for defamation. But you do you, Donald. <laughs> Well, as Lewis Carroll would have pointed out, we had a caucus race in Barmy, Iowa this week. The minus 45 degree, 10 minute frostbite warning didn't deter the self-heating and furious voting population. And of course, without lifting a tiny finger, oh, I don't get out of a courtroom to rally to any fewer than 500 people. Trump trumped home to win 54% of the vote. Annoyingly, he won across most demographics, the college educated and those without a degree, men and women, urban, suburban and rural voters and evangelical Christians. He won 98 of Iowa's 99 counties, losing Johnson County, the home of the University of Iowa, by a single vote to Nikki Haley, which he, as yet, is not complaining about perhaps because of his utter faith in the unimpeachable ha-ha security of the write your preferred candidate's name on a piece of paper in a crowded public bar and put it into a hat method. The only demographic he didn't scoop up, the moderates, who all, all, I'm surprised there are moderates, this was a race between candidates all on the same side, the GOP after all, voted for Haley, with voters ages 17 to 29 backing DeSantis. Haley and DeSantis took just enough of the vote to insist they were his main rival in New Hampshire, the next state to vote, ensuring the field will remain divided against him, so we'll have to go through the same sorry fiasco all over again. One good thing, though, Vivek rhymes with cake, but he's just scum Ramaswamy dropped out of the race, handing his voters over to Trump, and I bet they're thrilled. 
The weather did cut the voters down from 187,000 in 2016 to 100,000. And a little perspective, at only 100,000, that's less than half the number who voted in last year's Philadelphia mayoral primary and less than one-fifth of the number who voted in last year's Chicago mayoral election. Though whilst we can try and dismiss it all as an unimportant beating of butterfly wings on the other side of the world, we might want to start saving up for one-way SpaceX tickets to Mars again. I think one of the reasons that we can largely dismiss it as an unimportant beating of butterfly right. wings halfway across the world is, is because yeah. of the, the winners of the previous Iowa caucuses didn't end up being the candidate. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, wow. Mike Huckabee oh, won okay. in 2016. <laughs> right, right, so, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's yeah, not really a big indication of, of how it's going to yeah. go. I mean, Trump is going to be the candidate. Yeah. Let's not mess around. Yeah. But it's not, yeah, yeah. this isn't uh, a suggestion that, that yeah, well, because the 96% white Iowan GOP <laughs> um, voters Who came out are, in the cold. are, are yeah. prepared, like half of them since last time are prepared to come out and, and put their yeah. torn off bit of paper in a popcorn bucket <laughs> for Trump. Yeah. That it actually means anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mind you, we kind of, you know, I think we dismissed the whole bellwether thing at some point, <laughs> yeah. didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Minnesota's Borat, Mike Lindell, is claiming that he's been cancelled by Fox News, with the network refusing to run ads for his lumpy pillows in retaliation for hiring former Fox host Lou Dobbs to anchor shows on conspiracy website frankspeech.com. But hiring Lou Dobbs is surely punishment enough in itself. And indeed, according to a person with knowledge of the situation who spoke to the Washington Post, his ads are just paused because he hasn't paid them for months. The right wing is full of grifters like Dinesh D'Souza who have got very rich pretending that Trump won in 2020, but I think Lindell really believes it and has spent millions of dollars trying to actually prove the baseless conspiracy theories instead of focusing on milking the rubes. So Lindell's been having money problems for a while leading to him selling off all his factory equipment for $12 and some magic beans a few months ago. He says, It should be almost illegal that you don't accept money to buy ads when you've been doing it this long. Because like all good Republicans, mm -hmm. he believes private businesses should be able to do what they like until it affects him personally. Yep. He added that he spends $1 to $2 million a week on ads on Fox. And I think I've spotted another problem with his business model. <laughs> yeah. In the absence of Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman, we can always depend on Stan Laurel but gone to the dark side, Roger Stone, to provide some light relief. In a recording published by Mediaite, Stone purportedly told a friend at a restaurant in Florida in the weeks before the 2020 election, let's go find Swalwell. It's time to do it. Then we'll see how brave the rest of them are. It's time to do it. Either Swalwell or Nadler has to die before the election. They need to get the message. Let's go find Swalwell and get it over with. I'm not putting up with this shit anymore. The US Capitol Police are investigating the remarks with the help of the FBI. Remarks which in true Henry II, what do you mean you killed Thomas Beckett, all I said was fashion. Stone denies it all, saying I never spoke about assassinating anyone in an ex-post on Thursday. Fake Mediaite can't produce the recording they claim to have. Mediaite has produced no audio of me threatening two Democratic congressmen. Where is it? Post it. And, of course, they went ahead and did so. 
The alleged remarks came after Representative Eric Swalwell, who's the Democrat for California, and Jerry Nadler, who's the Democrat for New York, members of the House Judiciary Committee, has said in July 2020 that Trump had infected our judicial system with partisanship and cronyism. Swalwell commented, this is what Trump and his real-life thugs do. They try and intimidate opponents and will always choose violence over voting. And there we were, continuing to miss the Sopranos and wondering what to fill that hole in our lives with. And it's been staring us in the face all along. Old Don Trumpaloni inspiring <laughs> dastardly deeds in the name of loyalty. That's another fine mess he's gotten you into, Roger. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> The House Oversight Committee held a hearing on Wednesday about whether to hold Hunter Biden in contempt for ignoring a subpoena to testify behind closed doors. Hunter, who had offered to testify in a public hearing, showed up and sat in the front row, only to be yelled at by Nancy Mace, who told him, you're the epitome of white privilege, coming into the Oversight Committee, spitting in our face, ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed. What are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here today. Jared Moskowitz pointed out they could hear from Hunter right now if they wanted, but since that's absolutely not what they want, he was quickly shouted down by Mason Committee Chairman James Comer. Texas Democrat Jasmine Crockett, who is a black woman, objected to Nancy Mace, who is not, trying to invoke white privilege, and then explained for the hard of thinking, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, why Hunter asked for a public hearing. And let me tell you why nobody wants to talk to y'all behind closed doors, because y'all lie. Fair enough. Moskowitz had another go, asking for a vote to see how many of the GOP committee members wanted to hear from Hunter right now, since he's in the room. And only one hand went up, which I think was to ask a question. Finally, when the committee was getting ready to vote on recommending contempt charges, Moskowitz again took the floor and he said he would vote to hold Hunter in contempt if his Republican colleagues would vote to do the same with people who ignored subpoenas from the January 6th committee, such as Scott Mm. Perry, Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, Mo Brooks, Andy Biggs and Kevin McCarthy. They didn't seem to think this was a good idea. Mm. According to a list obtained and published by the non-profit Penn America... The Escambia County School District lists more than 1,600 books banned pending investigation in December 2023. Among titles on the list are John T. Alexander's Catherine the Great, Life and Legend, and Anne Frank's Diary of a Young Girl. Also on the list are Merriam-Webster's Elementary Dictionary, The Bible Book, The World Book Encyclopedia of People and Places, Guinness Book of World Records 2000, Webster's Dictionary and Thesaurus for Students, and the American Heritage Children's Dictionary. A spokesman for the Escambia School District said, oh, they're not banned, they've just been pulled for review under the HB 1069 bill, the bill approved by Governor Ron DeSantis last year, which, along with requiring schools to teach that reproductive roles are binary, stable and unchangeable, and limiting education regarding sexual health, also bans schools from having books that depict or describe sexual conduct or is inappropriate for the grade level and age group for which the material is used. Escambia Superintendent Keith Leonard told the Pensacola News Journal that the district was making great strides to adhere to HB 1069, but Stefano Ferrell, Director of Research and Insight of the Florida Freedom to Read project, told CBS News that within the last five months, fewer than 100 titles had been reviewed by the district. I'm guessing that with the red mist descending every three lines, they're finding it difficult to actually do any reading. Also, where do you go to look up the definitions of whether this is inappropriate or sexual conduct if the dictionaries and encyclopedias have gone? Ah, yes, of course, we have to refer to our Florida lawgivers with their vast panoply of thought and experience. 
Meanwhile, Stefano Farrell points out most of these books, though pulled temporarily as the district has stated, will never be accessible in the school library for most current secondary students. Yep, keep them ignorant and they won't learn enough not to vote Republican. Margaret Atwood foresaw that long game approach way back when, and we were all blind to it. Well, that's if we could find a copy, of course. Oklahoma State Representative Justin Humphrey is the latest local GOP lawmaker to achieve national recognition for hearing that kids identify as animals and, rather than checking if that's real, immediately trying to legislate against it. In House Bill 3084, students who purport to be an imaginary animal or species or who engage in anthropomorphic behaviour commonly referred to as furries will not be allowed to participate in class or school activities and if their parents can't come and pick them up, and I swear I'm not making this up, Animal control will be contacted to remove the student. <laughs> Sadly, as we've discussed before, this is a non-existent problem that Humphrey is trying to solve because I would love to see the animal control guy turn up at a school and be pointed towards a sixth grader called Kevin wearing a unicorn costume. Honestly, if this bill passes, imagine the shenanigans. I, for one, would gladly have said I was a dolphin to get out of a five-mile cross-country run. Kids who didn't study for the test or who just don't like math will be going for rides in the back of the animal control van instead. There's probably puppies when you get to animal control too. It's win-win. In case you think Representative Humphrey was just having a bad day but is usually great, some of the other bills he's sponsored over the last few years were to get cockfighting reduced from a felony to a misdemeanour, classify Hispanic gang members as terrorists, and require women to get written consent from the father of the fetus in order to get an abortion on the grounds that women are just hosts. What a guy. What a guy. What a guy. Jesus. <laughs> Meanwhile, over here in good old sensible blighty, <laughs> Tory MPs have been acting against their party's wishes to add amendments to the Rwanda Bill in order to make it easier to ignore international human rights laws. This has meant that some of them had to resign from key positions. Lee Anderson and Brendan Clark-Smith, for example. No great loss, really. Ultimately, though, they knew that their tabled amendments would lose. So was it just a gesture? Some say flipping the bird or flicking the Vs are just gestures. A pointless and very visible gesture of party disunity and a snub to the PM in an election year without a care for how the public might view their petty fractured infighting. Of course, the amendments failed to be adopted and those 60-odd rebel MPs that voted for those, i.e. against the bill as it stood, went on to stand firm in their resolve until the prospect of their actions bringing down the PM and thus the government and ushering in a general election before they could get anyone to fly to Rwanda and before they could cut in Eden tax in March to keep the three remaining eye-wateringly rich and teeteringly old to vote them in again, put them off. Oh, if only I had their moral fibre. Rishi's latest and only criticism of the Labour Party is that they haven't got a plan. And because he's got a plan, then that's what counts, which is the politician's fallacy again right there. Something must be done. Here's something. Let's do that. And, yeah, Rish, me old mate, and Keir doesn't have to have a plan because he's not in charge, you tiny fool. Meanwhile, Labour MP Jess Phillips pointed out that in all this, the Tory Home Office is spending about £169,000 per person to be deported to Rwanda. And in the years since the establishment of the fund to support the 100,000 victims of child sexual abuse in 2023, the Home Office spent just £45 per victim. Priorities, Rishi. Priorities. 
And finally, former Environment Minister Therese Coffey's only line of attack was to accuse Yvette Cooper of not even getting the country right when speaking about the Kigali government. Show some respect. It's Rwanda, not Kigali. Of course, Kigali is the capital of Rwanda. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't ever Minister for Geography, though. <laughs> so that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week you'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy our contact details are on the contact page if you think we've used a fallacy ourselves let us know and if you've had a good time please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or simply tell one other person in person about how much they'd like our podcast and you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump just like our newest patron NJ Transplant living in Delaware. Our strawman level patrons, Laura Tomzik, Renee Zed, Schmutz, Mark Reiki, and Amber R. Buchanan, who tells us when we met her at QED, we can just call her Amber, though another listener recognised her at QED this year because we keep using her full name all the time. And our true Scotsman level patrons, Melissa Sytek, Stephen Bickle, Janet Uetta, Andrew Halk, and our newly crowned top patron, Kaz Tui. Thank you so much and welcome if you've just joined us and your continued support is truly appreciated. Thank you. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by The Outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>